0: Everybody, I am Chris Cuomo and welcome to a very special primetime town hall. We're calling it America under assault, the gun crisis. It's been a tough week, but we should not waste this moment. So let's take a breath and let's talk and take the time to listen. We've put together a beautiful program for you tonight with some of the most prominent voices and they have very different ideas about protecting our society from gun violence. And I am surrounded by a gift tonight, the strength of Survivor's The same kind of strength I saw on the ground in El Paso. This audience traveled from far and wide and mostly in lousy weather. So thank you for dealing with the elements. And they did so to represent their communities. How do we heal when this happens to us? No one and nowhere is immune. El Paso, Dayton, Sandy Hook, Parkland, Las Vegas, Virginia Tech, Columbine, Chicago. Many of the people here survived the bullets that tore through their bodies, changed their lives and changed their communities. Many lost loved ones. Some are now advocates for reform. Some work in the firearm industry. Others work to limit that industry's reach. We also invited the National Rifle Association, the NRA, to be part of tonight's conversation. They declined. They sent a totally disingenuous statement that they're open to honest discussion, but not this spectacle. That's what you call this, a spectacle? I guess they want to do their talking with propaganda ads and millions in lobbying. Besides, Let's be honest. The gun lobby is not going to be the answer. And that shouldn't be expected any more than we expected big tobacco to help us expose the ills of smoking. The reality is people like you are the answer. And there can be no sides when it comes to wanting to be safer, better protected. There just can't be. Not anymore. So let's use this moment. Let's connect and confront what should be obvious by now. The only special interest involved tonight is our collective interest in dying less this way. I want to start by showing you what weapons are we talking about. For some in this room, I totally understand if you don't want to look at these images. I get it. But as you know, I think we have allowed too many outside this room to hide from the reality for too long. So these are law enforcement photos of the actual weapons used in American massacres. They're not models. They're evidence. The photos you're looking at, They can be called weapons of war. They are certainly responsible for 132 deaths. They're not for hunting. They're easily modified, accessorized. They can hold 100 bullets like we just saw in Dayton. They're not subject to the kinds of restrictions that we put on handguns in most places. So let's talk about why we are here and why we can't seem to get anywhere better. To do that, I'm going to start with those who have lived this crisis. We have Christine Leinenen, her son Christopher, went by Drew He was one of the 49 murdered in that Pulse nightclub attack in Orlando. David Colbath shot eight times inside the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. We got J.T. Lewis. He lost his brother Jesse at Sandy Hook Elementary. He was one of the 20 first graders murdered there. J.T.'s 19. He's running for state Senate in Connecticut, and he's running as a Republican. I want to welcome each and all of you. Good luck to you and thank you. It's good to see you. you. Thank you for being here. All right. I want to start with a little bit of news. So in El Paso, the family came forward and said, we don't know where he learned these things. Let's take them at face value. They say we raised him with love and kindness. Who knows what happened between when he was in their house in his early 20s. The mother then says, but I did contact the police a few weeks ago before the shooting, obviously. Right. Because she was concerned about her son owning an AK type firearm. She didn't say and he has this dark, because they say they didn't know. And she doesn't say, and he doesn't seem right. But she said, I don't know about him having something like this. He's only 21. I don't even know that he knows how to use it. Now, the interesting gap to me, Christina, I want your take on this first, is the officer doesn't take any next step. And I'm not faulting the officer. The rules and the processes are what they are. There is no, well, let me talk to him. Well, let me see why he got it. Well, let's see what he's doing with this. There is none of that. What do you see? and what we know, and what we don't?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think he's any more or less indicative of most angry, mad American males. I mean, there should be a museum called MoMAM in D.C. It should be Museum of Mad American Males. And they want to put their hatred somewhere. And they look online so... I can give her some credit as a mother, because from what I'm, just from my research, and I've only been in this for three years, researching it since my son's death, but I see that these kids, so many of them get radicalized online. And it doesn't matter uh, if they're Southerners, maybe they're going to put their hatred in the Confederate flag. If they got some kind of European descent, they might become a neo-Nazi.
0: But imagine if you had a next step, Uh, David, like, you know, so you get told this. The family's concerned. There are countries like Canada, you know, not like the most remote place in the world where you'd get a phone call. Um, Hey, uh, your family's a little worried that you bought this. AR. why'd you buy it? What are you doing with it? How are you doing? What do you think about the
2: practicality of something like that? Well, it's like a red flag law. Right.
0: It is. It would be a lesser standard. Right. Because a red flag law is where you have seen in in the states 17 or so that have it. Right. One of the problems is the idea of a federal one. I don't know the, the legal mechanism for that. It's usually by states. But it is you call and say, I know Chris. Well, he's not doing well. He's off his meds. He's saying crazy things. He's a danger to himself. He's a danger to others. And that would trigger, no pun intended, that would activate a withdrawal of my right to have the guns for a certain amount of time. So this would be short of that, but if the mother's worried and the person has something like this, what is the plus minus on putting another step in the process?
2: Well, perhaps the mother or the father should have, if they know the kid well and they're living at home, should have maybe did more checking and following what's going on with them. But the other thing would be, is there a possibility that are we, are we saying maybe a police officer could have went out above on his, on his own time or, or above the call mm. to, to check into it because he was worried, because the mother was worried? I mean, I, I guess that's good. Are you asking me, do I think there should be a law where we could intercept that? I'm going to surprise you with this answer. I, I, think, I, I think there needs to be something looked into on that line um, carefully. And I think this is some ground that we're treading that I'm a staunch supporter of our constitution. So I would be real careful about treading on that ground like that. Right. And well, so- you want to take this on.
3: Absolutely. You
0: want to go in. You want to run for office. You want to be part of the change. Hmm. These are the kinds of questions. Yeah. What should happen when a parent calls? This kid has no diagnosis. Yeah. He is not a threat as far as she knows. She just doesn't like what she's seeing. Is that anything of any interest to our laws?
3: Yeah, so it really does get into the uh, red flag territory that the president has actually been talking about recently. Something that we do need to look at. Um, If you look at the history of it, the shooters do give indications that they're about to pull something off like this. In Sandy Hook, the shooter actually wrote something called The Book of Granny. When he was in a first grade classroom, this same gla- cr- classroom that my brother was in, that w- my brother was murdered in, this was about a witch who went into the classroom, her broomstick opened up into a semi-automatic rifle and killed kids. The teachers got a hold of this book, and they didn't do anything about it. And we let him fall through the cracks. And this is very common. And the same thing in Parkland. The shooter posted videos about uh, wanting to carry out a, a mass murder uh, to make him himself famous, so to say. And, um, and I appreciate that your show doesn't, uh, give the name and the image, uh, because there are copycat shooters. Um, and, and they're, they're there there. You can find them. And Sandy Hook, uh, the kids, his age afterwards said, yeah, I saw that coming. You know, I saw he was a trouble kid and I saw that that was, it is
0: like the highest form of see something, say something, but it's complicated, you know, in any other context, if you wanted to do that to me in college, Mm you'd be okay. You want to do it about another kid in school. You want to do it about somebody at work. I'm wearing a band uh, from a protocol called the Columbia protocol, where you learn the right questions to ask somebody to see if they need help. And they're in some state of distress, but you do it when somebody has a weapon calling into a uh, question, whether or not they should have one. Now you got to fight on your hands. Let's get some questions from the people who know better than I, Aaron, um, do me a favor, stand up, introduce yourself and ask your question to Christine, please. Or you could stay seated. It was good. You knew the instruction. I got it wrong and you did it right. Thank you very much. See, we're already working together. Go ahead.
4: Um, As survivors of the Las Vegas massacre, my husband and I uh, struggled with the fact that the conversation in this country seemed to move on within a week while our lives would never get to go back to normal. Can you talk about um, what happens to gun violence survivors after the camera crews leave? And what are the psychological and lasting impacts of gun violence that often aren't discussed when the conversation moves on to the next topic?
1: Well, for me personally, I find it very cathartic to get involved in my community in whatever way I can to give my son a voice. He lost his voice, so he has to speak through me, whether it's in uh, gun safety activism uh, or like... For example, I'm wearing this, I made this T-shirt, no Pulse Museum, believe it or not, the owners of the Pulse nightclub want to make an admissions charging, gift shop having, tour bus coming from Disney to stay an extra day in Orlando so that this business owner can have an income for her and her family into perpetuity. Off the deaths of my child so of course that's going to make me angry and i'm going to want justice so we started a community coalition against the pulse museum so we have nopulsemuseum.info if you want to find out more we i started a change.org petition and i've got over 41,000 signatures already to stop this pulse museum where else in the country and see this is where orlando is a very liberal left-leaning city, and they always like to, you know, talk about the, the right, the hypocrites on the right. Well, they're being such bigots. This is the only mass shooting that a Muslim Arab American committed, and they're making a hate museum? What sense does that make? Do we have one at the Waffle House? Do we have, is there going to be a one a Walmart You know, museum now, why is it that, you know, the white supremacists, the neo-Nazis and the Confederate uh, flag-waving population could commit these mass murders and they do go away? And then pulse happens and you have a business owner who's trying to capitalize on the deaths.
0: Well, neither result winds up being adequate right because you don't want it to go away so you can try and figure something out and you certainly don't want it to become a spectacle where people can profit off it that's the worst message uh we would spend all right so let's move to the idea of stopping or what do you have
2: just to follow up on her question um so right now at at my church um there's a lot of people uh praying for me trying to choose my words real carefully Um, and they're praying and I understand when those words come up from the national media and the national people that run the country that we need more than that I agree but her question was after the fact Mm -hmm. so I'd like to answer part of that with those prayers our little community got together and went and visited Santa Fe and tried to Through Christ, lift people up and encourage them, listen to their story. And guess what? Ours is similar. So we could converse and we could talk. No debating, no Republican, no Democrat, no Independent, nothing like that. And so, right now, as a church body, we are trying to go to El Paso. You can't just walk in there and do that. You got to get somebody to, to help you. Her question was Do we, how do we survive after the fact? How are the survivors doing? What what happens? Well, let me assure you of a couple of things. Uh, there's no help. You better hope you have insurance. The government stops whatever they've got offered to you. That's done. You're on your own. The healing is long. Two months in the hospital for me, mostly incapacitated. Rehab, rehab at the finest place God offers on this earth is it. The Center for the Intrepid in San Antonio for me and a couple of others that were uh, fortunate fortunate enough to go where our wounded warriors go and rehab, months and months of that. The mental thinking of our 24 survivors, including young children, it's 19 or is it 20 months later now? It never ends. It 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 never in- and I don't think it ever will. I think it may dissipate. I think it may be lighter. Uh, myself and people I know, as soon as we heard about 10 days ago a shooting, it affects us. Saturday, wow. Sunday, wow. It, It's sort of like all over again.
0: It's not that the prayer, it's not that prayer is unwanted. Prayer is incredibly powerful. But the whole point of it is that you are trying to inspire yes. something better and act like your church does when it goes somewhere else. The criticism is that don't do the first part if you're not genuine in trying to act on what it is that you're literally praying for divine inspiration in order uh, to do. But I, I take your point, And it's important to understand how many layers there are to this. Let me get to another question though. we have Cameron Caskey here in terms of talking about what works and what doesn't. What's your question, my friend?
5: Um, hey, everyone. My name is Cameron. I was at I was actually at the last CNN town hall calling for the end of gun violence where we said this has to be the last mass shooting. And if history has taught us anything, I'll be at the next one, too. So I, I, I was watching the news unfold on Monday. I woke up in the morning wondering how how another one of these mass shootings could have happened, wondering wh- how what happened in El Paso uh, in El Paso could have possibly happened again. And then I learned that there was a shooting in Dayton. Of, of a similar horrendous size. So, so I started learning about it. I tried to cry. I don't think I can do that anymore. I've, I've, I've cried for too many people this year. I think I've run out. But I, I looked at Sutherland Springs, actually, and I looked at how the shooter was shot several times before leaving. And I explored the, the good old-fashioned American good guy with a gun argument because so many people believe it. I really wanted to pick it apart and understand what exactly it means. And, I, and soon enough, I learned that the shooter in the Walmart was actually stopped by several armed people. And I said, well, you know what? I understand what a lot of these people are coming from. Until I started to think 22 people were killed in Walmart and, and in all these shootings where this good guy with a gun has shown up, it's been after far too many people have been killed. So I said, is this good guy with a gun concept strong enough when dozens are already being massacred? If do I, am I going to feel safer in public with more armed people when, when you know, if, if 39 people are massacred and the, and the shooter is stopped after that, is, is that enough? What what exactly does this mean? What can we do here? And Texas and Ohio are actually both states with concealed carry. So naturally, assuming that argument, you'd assume people should feel safer there than anywhere else. Did these shootings change your perspective at all on what exactly it means for there to be a good guy with a gun? And do you still believe that more guns in a place will make it safer? Because I'm seeing these shootings in these states that are apparently these heralds of Second Amendment rights, and yet dozens are still being killed. So, JT... That's one of the kinds of things you want to tackle if you get into government.
3: What do you think? It's, It's hard to rely on someone at a shooting to have a gun. I mean, that's not where I want to go. Now, as far as at schools, at Sandy Hook Elementary School, the shooter shot out the glass front doors and killed kids. A principal had to confront him in the hallway. And that's not fair to the kids. The way I look at it is there should, be, should have been an armed guard in there, a, a police officer, someone highly trained. I think that's something we can get behind. Now, I know Parkland there was, and he, was, he wasn't able to act. And that's unfortunate, but you give yourself the best chance when there is someone there who can act. Most of them are, you know, they've been former first responders, police, military. They know what they're doing. If you get someone good, and they're obviously vetted for many months, uh, you get someone good, they're, they're able to act. Well, do you
5: think the fact that you and I are both, you know, we're both white, the the police brutality in this country when it comes right. to different students of color and, and the school to prison pipeline and just how easy it is for somebody to be discriminated against because of what they look like. Mm. Do, do you think that putting these armed resource officers in schools are going to put students of color at higher risk? Well, the, the
3: idea would be that they're totally separate from the administration of the school and that the, they're just the I- there to protect the students. You do get into a gray area there, and that, with police especially. Now I'll tell you, after Sandy Hook, all the schools in our town, of Newtown, implemented guards and police. And we have cameras. Uh, My high school has 400 cameras. We have doors that lock from the inside, very important, simple things. Uh, they're not doing it for show. They're doing it because it works. And, you know, that's something I've been advocating for over the past year and a half. Um, and, and it's very important.
5: Sure. Well, Newtown and Parkland are similar, both mm. communities that are, I'd say, you know, on the higher end of the uh, you know socioeconomic spectrum and also both communities where most of the people, again, like us, are white do, around the country. Do you think that we need to be implementing the same the procedures, because I, I think about all these communities that are, are forced to face police violence every single day, yep. and I cannot imagine being a student walking into school that day knowing that these teachers are packing heat. I always say, think oh, about I the don't worst
0: te- teachers. Yeah, I don't. He's not, he's not talking. I know that there are some proposals about that. Frankly, any But there's a difference canvas. between okay. having a police officer or an armed. Um, security officer in it. Sometimes they call them school resource officers, and I understand why that term um, rubs people the wrong way. But there's a difference between that and having teachers... um, with guns. But then uh,
5: you look at the, at the sexual harassment from police officers around the country with young women included. And I just think the more... We, we, this is a high school. You've got young developing people, young men and women from around the country. And the thought of more people with weapons that can corner these children... I mean, at Marjorie Stillman Douglas High School, there were several teachers that after the shooting were revealed to have several sexual harassment claims. Yeah. And officers around the country... Do we think that more people with guns around children is going to make the children safer when it, we have not seen any clear data that that does anything before? Well, Christine, William, to go ahead. I to see
1: that I want to see less guns on less people, period. Exactly. And I partnered with uh, Gail Schwartz, whose nephew, Alex Sector, 14 years old, was killed at... Margie at MSD <laughs> and um, she had this ingenious idea that let's try to get that as a ballot initiative to ban assault weapons now, Florida.org. and she asked me if I would team up with her absolutely I said that's ingenious let's have the voters since our politicians are saying that they're going to help us and then they get into office and they don't help us I want to see less guns I want to see a if we can do it in florida i want to see that countrywide ban assault weapons and that answers your earlier question too about the mother with the son with the ak if they're banned there's easy peasy for the police officer he doesn't have to play some kind of psychological game it's a banned weapon you're going in that valid gun- initiative
0: would be a state-by-state state solution yes. because on the federal yes. level you don't have the same mechanism let yes. me get another question marianne jacob where are you I, Good.
6: Thank What's you, Chris, course? for having us here tonight. Um, I just want to start by saying I can't believe we're sitting here having this same discussion six and a half years after I survived the Sandy Hook shooting and JT's brother Jesse was killed there. I mean, if we can't do something after 26 year olds are killed, it's, it's pretty shocking. Um, I'm a Republican. I have guns in my home. My husband and my sons are avid sportsmen and hunters. Um, But we also believe that gun responsibility, gun ownership comes with grave responsibility. I think most Americans do and gun owners do. What will it take for our elected leaders to hear the call of people like us in the radical middle and bring background checks for all gun sales to a vote in the Senate?
2: What do you think, David? (sighs) At one time, I was 100 percent against it. Because. Because we have a Second Amendment that expressly states that's not to happen. Our rights won't be infringed. But today, um, I don't want just some answers thrown out. And like she said, what's it going to take? I think there needs to be some unity. I think there needs to be some uh, tremendous prayer in, in all these decisions. I think that this Gun registration, again, I'm probably going to surprise some people that know me, and they know me real well. Um, I I think it's a viable alternative. It it wouldn't have stopped any of these shootings, though. None of these shootings had guns illegal. So it it, it wouldn't have stopped any of them. Well,
6: if the background background check law... Um, was extended so that instead of a three-day waiting period, there was more like a 10- or a 20-day waiting period, the shooter at the Charleston shooting would not have had a gun because he wouldn't have passed the background check law, but he got a gun because three days later his background check hadn't passed. So that's a fact. Right. And we know that background checks keep guns out of the hands of people and and save people because... you know, every gun that's sold starts as a legal gun and not until a background check is missed does it become an illegal gun, potentially. Right. But if he still would have been able to get that
2: gun 10 days afterwards, he still had his mindset.
6: You know what? He wouldn't have passed the background check. That case is
0: fact friendly to the idea of why background checks work. I think that the the other point of analysis that becomes relevant here is that is it fair to say if the rule wouldn't have stopped the event that precipitates that rule, then it must be a bad rule. And I think that what we're learning is you need layers. You know, what we're using as a word and arguably abusing as a word, which is holistic. And the reason I say abusing is we keep talking about a holistic approach to it, but we do nothing. Uh, and it seems that we're using the word holistic as a reason to say, well, if we're not going to do all of these different things, then we won't do any of these things. And you wind up where we are right now. Whereas, OK, so background checks wouldn't have made a difference because in this particular instance, uh, this person didn't have a criminal record or any of the other thing. OK, um, but as a combination effort of if you have red flag laws that are fully funded and encouraged in a way, okay, if you have better treatment for people and an ability to get people who need that treatment kept in a place, well, that's okay. But that's not gonna be the panacea that we're hearing from the president because people with mental illness are much more likely statistically to be victims of violent crime than they are perpetrators of it. And while we do see an an overweighting in percentages of tragedies like the one where you lost uh, your brother and that you had to live through, In mass shootings in general, or once you look at what really should count as mass shootings in places like Chicago, well, now that's off the table. It's not about mental health anymore, but it is a piece. And it seems that if we could talk more about doing lots of things that might make a difference, maybe this one doesn't matter in this case, but it might matter in the next. And as a comprehensive solution, we would apply that to every other problem we deal with except this one. If you thought about it in terms of protecting kids from predators... If you look at the laws on that, I don't know why you would. That just happens to me in my life. That's the kind of things that we look at in this business. There are many different layers of protection, different agencies with different responsibilities that do different things and share information in different ways, where you can live afterwards, how you can be, how they review you in prison, because we're so worried about having it happen again. Not here. And that's something for us to think about. I appreciate each and all of you. For sharing this, because I know it's not easy. Christine, I know having this conversation takes a little piece out of you every time. But it's it's an important conversation.
1: It's important, exactly. So,
0: Christine, thank you. Thank you. David, thank you. And God bless JT. Good luck going forward. Thank you. You're picking some path going into politics. As somebody who wants to have less violence going into politics, you're a brave young man, and I wish you well. Appreciate that. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, Here's a fact to kind of send us in to this uh, commercial break. Guns. Look at the number on your screen. There are more guns in America than people. Think about that. 393 million held by civilians in the USA. No other country can match us in that way. And you have to recognize that by law and culture, this will never be a gun free country. So where are we together on what can change and what are the real challenges? Let's take that on next. All right, welcome back to our primetime town hall. You know, there's often a disconnect between what the country wants and what actually gets done in Washington, especially on this issue. Let's look at that with people who get the political realities. We have Mitch Landrew, former Democratic mayor of New Orleans, one of the most dangerous cities in America, and Eric Gonzalez. Uh, Democrat, district attorney for Brooklyn, New York. His brother was shot and killed in 1996. So he's got a professional and personal connection. We wanted Republicans, by the way. I didn't want to make this about politicians, but I wanted it about balance. It's not easy in this environment, but I do want you to know this. Congressman Tom Massey, okay? He's a very big deal on this issue. He's the founder of the Second Amendment Caucus. He wanted to be here. It was weather that kept him away. I didn't think it would be right to have him on a remote, Talking about this, Um, he wanted to be here. He deserves that respect, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A little bit of news: Um, the president, we're told, was on the phone with the head of the NRA, uh, Wayne LaPierre, um, yesterday or today. They are in contact. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing?
7: What do you think here? Well, I think when people are talking, it's a good thing. Depends on what they're talking about talking about doing nothing to finally doing something. So, you know, you'll see this. As soon as there's an event like this, we have what it is that we have. There's a great deal of agony. Uh, The mayors of both of these cities and, of course, the victims and their families are going through a horrible time. Somebody says something that somebody says is political and somebody says, well, now is not the time to talk about it. And then it goes away and then we don't talk about it. So I think the first thing that needs to happen is we have to have an appointed time to actually speak about it and to actually work through it to find answers that actually will create meaningful difference in people's lives. And we don't do that
0: right now. You believe that the NRA is that powerful, that that's what the main reason is that we don't see the right wanting to make more legislative change in the area of controlling access?
4: I believe that the uh, power of the NRA in controlling some of our elected officials and not wanting to uh, face the wrath of that organization and supporters is a major factor in not having reasonable gun control.
0: See, I wonder about the idea of the wrath, right? Because, I mean, look, you guys both know this. What do they bring to bear? They put up like $17 million in lobbying. That's real money. Doesn't put them at the top of the list. They bring votes. I mean, that's why we started the show tonight talking about how the power has got to be at the ballot box. They will bring people who have made this issue into a political proxy issue for freedom. You know, that the, these are people, a lot of them don't even own guns, but they want the right to own that gun. They'll come and vote. Is that their real power?
7: Well, I think people can argue about that until the cows come home. Essentially, though, nothing's getting done that's fixing this problem. And I, quite frankly, don't think that the people of America really understand the scope of the problem. Since 1980, in our country, our beloved country that we all love, 630,000 American citizens have been killed on the streets of New Orleans. Some in what people would call street crime, some in mass shootings, some in suicide. But that's more soldiers, American soldiers, that have been killed in all of the wars of the 20th and the 21st century. I think that means clearly we have a problem with violence in America right now, Congress prohibits any significant research on violence as a public health threat. It would like, be nice to know what exactly that we're talking about. Why do you Back think they don't allow data, Because I think they're worried about guns. Then we begin to talk about guns and we don't talk about public health. We talk about public health. We don't start talking about national security. The, the piece of news that you had on before was the issue about the FBI. And is this a terrorism threat? I think everybody can agree now that this this is a form of terrorism. What, what happened in El, Paso, in El Paso, of course. Paso? Now we didn't. Now, when, when, when Miami happened, I mean, when, that, when it happened in, in Orlando, we were arguing about whether that was terrorism or not because it invokes federal resources. Now, our law enforcement do a great job, but since, I don't know, September 11th, the funding for the FBI to be focused on
0: the ground has been cut because they were looking overseas. And so I think that the federal— so That's the key part. There's no reason to run past it. You know, in doing an investigation— It's all about resources to look in uh, to any type of organization that may be behind it. We don't do that with this. Uh, If they were Muslims involved, you know, if you had a Muslim uh, who had and not even they're not real Muslims. If you had an Islamic extremist, right, because Muslims will tell you he's not a member of my faith if he did this uh, shot up Walmart that way. We'd all be about resources. Who did they know? Where did he get it from? Who did he talk to online? Whether he's a part of the group or he's a proxy for the group. You know, we're going to go after that group because they're out to get us. We don't do that here. And do you think that makes a big difference?
4: It makes a difference also in the sense that every day we're losing people's lives in this country. We lose it in our big cities. Um, and those lives seem not to matter to folks in the NRA and others. You know, we lose them often in low-income communities and black and brown communities. Um, and there is no resources put in to understanding those problems, where those guns are coming from. And when we have a mass shooting like this, um, it, it highlights it because it puts everyone on the edge, but we don't have those further conversations. doesn't go on.
0: Right. And even we talk mental health, but we were just talking to somebody who's part of the solution here in the crowd. Two-thirds of homicide, you know, death by person with guns, suicide. And what are we doing about that? How are we figuring it out? All right, let's continue the conversation. Samuel Granillo from Colorado. What is your question?
4: Uh, My name is Sam Granillo, again, um, from Columbine, representing that part of town in the country. Um, So this is to do with pro-gun and anti-gun conversations and how polarizing it can be once it even comes up. So when those conversations happen, people are expecting them to disagree fiercely. And what they're not expecting is for people to come together and find a solution. So how can we change those expectations? What would it take for each position to listen, absorb and understand one another? So they can find a solution. First of all,
7: thank you for that question. It's a great question, but there's a better one. If, in fact, the polls indicate that 65 percent of Americans, I just picked that number randomly, agree on something, why can't Congress pass that? That's a that's a different issue. And one of the things we have to think about is what what kind of reasonable restrictions make sense? I'm from Louisiana. Very, very heavy pro second amendment state. But I can assure you with all the hunters in Louisiana, these folks believe in responsible gun ownership. And I think most Americans will agree with the following statement, that not everybody should own any kind of gun at any time to do anything they want with. Even the Heller case that came out of Washington, D.C., that Justice Scalia wrote, said that there can be reasonable restrictions that make sense and, and work. So universal background checks, banning assault weapons and putting age limits on them, a waiting period is what most Americans think are fairly reasonable things that push responsible gun ownership that the NRA, by the way, Chris used to be in favor of a long time ago. So the bigger question for Congress that, that sometimes enacts preemptive legislation, that is to say, this is what the law is and local governments can't do any different. And when governors do that, that seems to be a reasonable place for us to talk. Um, I, I want to do that, but I also don't want the discussion about guns to take us away from what the district attorney was saying about the public health side of this, the national c- security side that goes back to what you said in the last segment about having a comprehensive approach. And if just one
0: thing doesn't work, deciding, okay, well, then we're not going to do anything. But look at where we are just in context. You know, um, Sam, not to run by your own history. You know, you're not just from Columbine. You survived the shooting. That was 20 years ago. I was at that shooting was the first one I ever covered. We covered it as a phenomenon. We were there for weeks. We couldn't believe that these two kids had arrived at this kind of solution. I spent days in malls following around this mythical group called the Trenchcoat Mafia, which turned out to just be a group of goth kids and big trench coats. because we were so desperate to understand how this could have happened, because this would never be something we could expect. 20 years ago, that was. All of the ones since. We're less curious about it now than we were then. What does that mean to you?
4: Wow. Uh, so it's always fascinating every time another shooting comes up that Columbine comes up. Um, I don't know why it's some sort of barometer. It was definitely unique when it happened. And what's different now, a lot of people will argue, is nothing. Um, things have gotten exponentially worse in various ways with technology and the internet and whatever it is that, you know, creates these perfect storms that create these massacres and, and everything that makes them happen. So I guess what we're trying to find now is this common thread and a common ground that we can all be on to have this discussion that doesn't end in this polarizing debate that gets nowhere so what is that common ground so that common ground is that we all have families we all have friends we all have loved ones we all want to be loved we all want to give love and what makes what that makes us all is human and the common thread here is that we are all that, and every single person in the world is human, and that is a common ground that we can all come to and understand that we need to change something here. And whether it's Columbine or Parkland or Vegas, or I could go on and on and on and on, my situation's not. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN Flash Talk about the album
0: that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country.